This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be covering all the Star Trek Day news. We are also going to be reviewing Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 3, Mining the Mind's Minds. So lots to go through. Tony, you were at Star Trek Day while I was at home watching. So let's start with your impressions of the whole day from someone who was right in the thick of it. It was great. You know, it's it's it's, it's fun being at this big celebration of Star Trek and you know, there was a giant Spock hand and, you know, there was a, it was really well organized. I spent most of my time on the red carpet, but I thought the panels were really good. Mostly I, I was, you know, I'm a fan of Brian, Brian Bosaines, but I, I didn't think his comedy was very comedy. Right. I just didn't think it was that funny. I'll be honest. I just felt bad for him. Like, like it wasn't his fault. <laughs> yeah. I thought the music was really good. I thought Reggie Watts was doing you know, he really brought a new energy. That that was what was better this year. It was so, just a more high energy event. Let me tell you, that was the, that didn't work on the live stream. It was the total opposite. So interesting. I was figuring that it was probably better for the live crowd. You know, I thought that Tawny and Paul were very funny and good and weren't because if I remember last year, it was all Will Wheaton and he was sticking to the script really tightly which was the problem i had with the comic-con panel and it's like when they people stick to the script too much you feel like you're at a corporate retreat and yep. you know i thought the, you know obviously they're both improvisers and they don't really give a shit about the script so they, they'll stick to it sometimes obviously but they you know they were good or at least they faked it well you know for from a news point of view i thought this was pretty well packed the one big thing we were hoping for what you know the announcement of a new television show right. didn't happen but the for the five shows all represented well i thought the panels really weren't newsy the newsy stuff all was with the press releases and the videos and you guys did a great job of getting all that stuff out you know as it was coming up live at the event and then coming up on the and you posted like five articles in an hour or something like that it was amazing <laughs> it was a little nuts but it was great so thank you for that. So yeah, so I liked it. You're saying it was a different experience. I mean, how is Mary and Jackie? Because from what I saw on, you know, they seemed to have great energy. And because last year they had different people doing it. And I, I remember it wasn't good. Yeah, last year, it was two people who clearly hadn't watched Star Trek, didn't know how to say people's names. And there's no way they could improvise because they didn't know the material. So here you have Jackie Cox, who's a huge fan. You have Mary Chifa, who was a fan before she even got involved with Star Trek Discovery. They both had great energy. They were, I thought they were terrific and really fun and funny and kept the energy up. I thought Tani and Paul were fantastic also. And yes, you want improvisers doing that kind of thing because they can, they know when, oh, you know what? We've already talked about that. We don't need to do it again, even though it's in the prompter. So <laughs> I thought they all did a great job. There were some problems with the feed. Like we got glitched out. Like we mo we lost most of, they rolled in something fun with Jason Alexander and we didn't get to see most of it. So there were some issues with the tech. And occasionally you could, there was one point where I actually heard somebody say, I don't know what we're doing, um, <laughs> which was an unfortunate thing to hear i mean as a tv producer i just felt the pain of the producer at that moment but i thought oh and they had um 
Fred, I can never say his last name. Fred Tatis. He does Shaq. Fred Tatiscore. Yeah, he was. Fred Tatiscore was fantastic as an announcer. Yeah, he does that radio voice, that announcer voice. I talked to him, not you, kind of off the record about it afterwards, and 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 uh, complimented him. And he said he's done Good. that kind of thing before. And then he kind of took on the voice and started doing it. He he's so fun. He's so <laughs> high energy, and he really loves it himself. He was great. And what I love was like, they made good use of the people that they have. And that's so the music didn't work for the stream at all, as I said. And then the comedian thing, it's it's a tough gig. Like I would say, if you want to have a comedian, which maybe isn't the best choice, you either need someone who's really famous, that anybody would be sort of excited to see, or someone from Trek who can do that. It felt like they gave him some last minute notes. Yeah. So it seemed I don't know. I don't think any of us were sitting there thinking, "Oh, this guy sucks." I think we were just thinking, "Oh, this poor guy." You could see his hands shaking. I just, yeah, I, I just did, felt bad it wasn't, for him, especially because it was rushed. And you know, I I was thinking, I guess they couldn't get Patton Oswalt. <laughs> That's someone that would have been able to to do that. So there's a lot of good stuff that um, Mary and Jackie did talking to people on the red carpet, and I have to say when they. Talk to Ken Mitchell. I was very moved by that. Yeah, I saw that happening, but I couldn't hear what was happening. I mean, I was actually, I feel, I was crying when he was talking. And he said, it feels wonderful to be alive and surrounded by people you love, celebrating something you truly care about. And he talked about Nichelle Nichols because he'd met her a few times. But uh, I just thought it was really amazing that he could that he came out, that he chose to come out and do that. He said he felt inspired to challenge himself to come out and be there for that event. I thought the Nichelle tribute was nice. What uh, Celia had to say and what Alex had to say. Uh, he, he really delivered well there. Um, but let's let's talk about the news and let's start. Let's just go through like like they did it, right? Yeah, let's go in order, starting with Star Trek Picard, which we now have an official premiere date for season three. Which is kind of what we thought. It's the middle of February, right? Yep. Thursday, February 16th. And we actually got a trailer, a teaser trailer with actual footage, which was very exciting. What'd you think of the trailer? It is exactly, you know, you know, we just spent two hours with the guy. So I guess at this point, and this is going to sound jaded, but I wasn't surprised by anything because it is exactly what he said. He's making a movie. It felt like a movie trailer. You could totally tell that the cinematography is different. Everything's different this season. And it just had a different vibe. It was it was a bit heavy on the ship porn angle because they wanted to reveal the USS Titan, which has been the kind of what ship is it? Ship. Right. Um, and it's the USS Titan. And you get Space Dock and... You didn't get a lot of story, but my favorite part of the whole thing is you got Riker and Picard in a bar, you know, saying we got to get a ship, you know, and they're just having this moment. And it's just a beautiful little moment. It shows the stakes and the connection, which is what the season's all about. It's a combination of a high stakes adventure, but with a personal connection to Picard and this group. And of course, it starts off with Crusher, which I really liked, which is what um, he told us it would. Um, now, I talked to Tara in the red carpet, and I can't remember the exact details, but that ship at the beginning, she's on that ship, Crusher. It's a used to be Federation ship, but it isn't anymore. So that's kind of where we start, is that ship with Crusher in, I guess, danger or whatever. 
and that sets off the whole season. Um, right. And so, yeah, so we don't really know what the season's about, but we kind of ha- have a sense of what it feels like. So I loved it. I like the ship. I, th- I think it's divisive, perhaps, because some TNG fans want to see kind of what comes after the Sovereign. Um, and I expect we'll get that. I I, I assume they're going to show us an Enterprise F or G or whatever sometime this season. So we'll probably see ships like this, kind of super modern 25th century ships, in a way kind of like the Stargazer was. But he is an old school guy, and he wanted something that was kind of evocative of you know the classic ships. And so it does have definitely has a TOS era vibe. I talked to him about the ship on the red carpet. You know, he, he describes it as a workhorse. You know, it's kind of an underdog. So not like California class, but it isn't the sovereign class, top of the line, you know, uh, flagship ship. That's not what it is. It's an exploration ship. And I think it works for what they're doing. And I like it. What did you think of the ship? Yeah, I like the ship, but I'm I'm not the kind of person who's going to have a big ship argument with people. I've seen a lot of people. Let's talk about the nacelles for 10 minutes. But yeah, I thought, (laughs) I mean, I thought the ship looked fine. I thought the space dock looked pretty cool. I'm much more focused on the characters and the moments. That's just more my thing. I mean, I like a good ship. Don't get me wrong, but, (laughs) but my focus is always on the characters. So, and I, and the panel itself, there were a few things. I mean, again, Patrick Stewart, reiterated that it's not a reunion i really liked that what he did say he said it's not a reunion but an essential gathering of all of the most important elements of star trek the next generation in order to do what they do best which to me is a reunion but i still like the way he said it <laughs> it's, he, he turk articulated it in san diego when he was saying don't call it a reunion it was almost like this weird reflexive thing now i kind of get where he's going with that which is when you think of it in his mind, a reunion is everyone sitting around a table and having dinner and like, right. you know, like kind of like what they actually do periodically. That's a reunion, like a family reunion. And it's not that they're actually doing stuff. They're going on a mission. They're in danger. They're fighting the good fight, as it were. And that's not well, a reunion. Right after he said that. So Paul F. Tompkins, who did a great job when he was moderating panels, said it's not just the crew having beers. And then Patrick said, I wish it had been which I thought was pretty funny. Um, (laughs) And Michelle Hurd said that Rafi will be exploring the criminal underbelly of the world that Picard takes place in, which, you know, I think that's divisive also, I would say. (laughs) The trailer shows you that this is dark is an overused word, but there was kind of a a Blade Runner-esque moment in the trailer that I liked. And maybe that has something to do with this criminal element you know, where they're, we're going to see the seedier side of the galaxy, um, which is something that Star Trek has tried to do, often doesn't do well. Um, yeah. so, so I'm looking to see how they kind of show us that. of Because the Federation is clean and nice and well-manicured lawns, but uh, not everything's like that. So No, and they didn't do that. a great job with that in season one of Picard. Yeah. Exactly. Which I think they were just, they never found their tone was the problem with that. The problem with that. But we'll see. And then the little, you know, Jerry Ryan said Seven's going to struggle with her decision to join Starfleet, which I think will be interesting as well. I'm intrigued by that. 
Now, I, I did get Terry to because people could walk away from this thinking that Seven is in charge of the Titan, right? Because she greets them. She sits in the captain's chair. She orders them out of space dock. Yeah, but, I mean, that would certainly give you the impression that she's in charge of it. Right. <laughs> you know, there's no one else there. Uh, but she was referenced as a commander. She is a commander, not ranked captain. And Terry confirmed there is a captain. And this captain is a major character, the captain of the Titan. But that captain has yet to be revealed, he said. I think it's a new character. It's this weird secret. They're just, you know, they're just only... This is just a teaser. They're not showing us everything. Yeah. We still haven't seen Brent Spiner, of course. We said right. still haven't seen the villain. You know, we really don't know what it's about. This, you know, except this criminal element, I guess. When we saw in the trailer, there was that that explosion. You know what that looked like? I mean, I, I this is me. You know, it looked like a transporter was doing that. The way there was kind of a beam around the building. And you know, I've always thought like transporters are actually super powerful. If you think about what you could do using a transporter as a weapon. So I thought maybe oh, that's what, yeah. what's going on there is like someone u- uses a transporter to kind of destabilize a building, which would be kind of easy. Actually, if you weren't shielded, you could just kind of remove every other molecule and, you know, boom, you know, yeah. so who knows what it is. But it was. Yeah, there's definitely some threat. But there's a bad guy or a bad woman. I think they've revealed the yes. bad. Yes. Yeah. There was some behind the scenes people there. Um, I had a nice quick chat with James McKinnon. He said on season three of Picard, he got to knock off three more bucket list alien makeups. So oh, cool. He didn't say what they were. We know that he got to do the Borg in season two, which was on his bucket list, but he really got more on season three so we'll have to look it back at all the work he's done on both picard and discovery and see what aliens he, he implied some of them are pretty obscure and you know it's terry so right you know, i'm sure terry is digging deep um okay let's move on to discovery the second thing there was no one there for discovery really they're busy filming season five. So we did get a package that was a behind the scenes tour hosted by Wilson Cruz, who said that they were filming episode four. I don't know how long ago they filmed that piece. Let's assume it was two weeks ago because they like to edit the hell out of these things. So, oh, yeah, prob- well, you need pro- to you need to with that anyway. Yeah. So they, they may be up to episode five. So they're probably roughly halfway through this through filming the season. The the big excitement for me was seeing Mary Wiseman not just hanging around on the set, but also in a scene on the bridge. So that made me very happy. I thought it was interesting how Mary Wiseman is in the trailer. She's on the bridge. Or it's not a trailer. It's a video. And she's listed as part of the cast in the press release we got. But they didn't kind of make a big deal out of it. We don't know if she's a recurring, a regular. It, fe- it feels the way she, they listed her. She's part of the cast. So she's definitely yeah. not a single guest star. She is at least heavily recurring, if not in every episode. So it just could be she's back on the ship. You know, everything that happened to the Academy is she decided to quit and we're just back to normal. And we're and I and I say, thank you know, thanks, because, yes, we need some, (laughs) you know, because we kept on saying you needed something like Tilly. And what's more like Tilly, but Tilly. So, yes. But hopefully, because she was kind of a lost soul looking for her place in the world, hopefully that's over with and they find a, a role for her on the ship. She can't be first officer. Well, I guess the the, the 
Saru question will remain because he's a captain and uh, they get to keep that going because now that the threat of the DMA <laughs> is over, two captains doesn't make sense. You know, the Starfleet's going to want to give him his own ship. So they're going to have to come up with some reason why he doesn't, which I'm sure right. they can do. Which, of course, they can do. Right. But, e- you know, even if he weren't first officer, she shouldn't be first officer. She wasn't No, ready. she shouldn't have. That was, I mean, that was a mistake. And they definitely, in that season, could have come up with a way for her to, a reason she had to be in charge that wasn't making her a first officer. It just didn't make sense. We didn't really learn anything in that video besides that she's in it and they're shooting a season and they use sets. Yes. <laughs> and that- <laughs> They gave us a summary of the season in the press release, which, of course, sounds, you know, it's it's, it's usual sort of vague, big threat, scary thing. But says that Discovery uncovers a mystery, really, that sends them on an epic adventure across the galaxy to find an ancient power whose very existence has been deliberately hidden for centuries. And then there are others also hunting for this power, I guess. That sounds sort of more fun, I think, than we've had for a while. Yeah, it's... That what's the, what's the knock on discoveries? Every season, the galaxy is going to be destroyed unless Michael Burnham saves them all. So maybe this time they're going to go off and on a treasure hunt, and yeah. uh, they're going to find uh, you know the orb of power that you know the one true ring in the galaxy or whatever it is, and uh, you know th- that'll be fun. You know, and, and some good guys and some bad guys will be searching for it, and uh, you know it's 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 the fellowship of the discovery. I'm I'm looking forward to. It. It does sound more fun. And I, you know, I always look forward to Discovery. I have a soft spot for it always. And I love all the characters. So I'm just happy to see what they're all up to. And I was very relieved to see David Ajala listed in the cast list. Now, Ian was at the event. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but Ian Alexander wasn't listed. And he left the ship, right, to go shrill. We were okay with that so you know who knows i suspect he'll show up like for as a guest star but he is not in the cast unlike blue blue is full-on cast member on the ship yeah ensign or lieutenant maybe by this point and uh that'll be great agreed you know getting back to the adventure thing there was they did put this photo out it's michael burnham on some kind of space motorcycle you start thinking, oh, my God, you know, because it's all like deserty and, um, you know, let's just hope it's not like the the nemesis dune buggy scene. But yeah. uh, but it does it kind of, evo- you know, it's it's an Indiana Jones adventure, maybe is what they're tr- really trying to go for in that picture, I think. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me because that's never what I watch for. But hopefully some other people were excited about it. Yeah. I think we're ready to talk Lower Decks, which we just we got a sneak peek of an upcoming episode. That's what they did to have some fun. The sequel to Crisis Point from season one, which everyone loved. Right. Crisis Point 2, Paradoxa. We got some Romulans. Yeah, it looks like a movie trailer this time because the joke last time was Boimler didn't get to be part of Crisis Point. Wasn't he like replaced by someone else? Yeah, well, what happened in the first one was Mariner took over. And completely changed his whole thing and turned it into this. Remember, it was like a deranged giant therapy session. Right. <laughs> so this time he gets to fulfill his true fantasy, which is, of course, being a captain of a ship. And they made a big deal out of the ship. It's called the USS Wayfair. They included a picture of the Wayfair in the press release. So 
I don't know if that's a real ship or just some kind of fantasy ship he's created in his mind. As we saw in this episode, he does have certain fantasies about being a captain and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So in a sidecar. Yes. (laughs) So no, it was fun. I am very much looking forward to episode eight for sure. What did you take from the panel? There was one thing on the panel I thought was interesting, which was Noelle saying that Tendi will face her heritage and what that means to her, which I'm excited about because every time they sort of hint at it or do a little bit about it, I'm intrigued. Well, she, I think, previously revealed that the DS9 episode is a Tendi episode dealing with a little bit of heritage. So I think we're right. going to, that may be what she's talking about. And then there was an interesting, not I mean, nothing new really, but on the red carpet when Mike McMahon was talking to Mary Chifo and Jackie Cox, he t- he and Tawny were talking about how they take the Star Trek stuff just as seriously as the comedy. And then he, was, he goes, don't tell Alex Kurtzman, he was joking. But he said they're so serious about it. And then he knows like when Tawny's reading scripts because she starts sending him emails at midnight that are all about the details of it. Um and she said, she goes, sometimes I just have a different take on canon. Uh, <laughs> but I, I like that. And I think it really shows. It does. I, I actually spoke to both of them myself on the red carpet. Mike, I, I, as, as you know, I always like to talk about the way future. So we ended up talking more about season four and five, and six and seven. Um, <laughs> Anything you can share from that conversation? Well, it was mostly logistic stuff where they are. They're kind of deep into four. You, you know, he was being realistic. He's like, I want them to give us a pickup by the end of this year for season five and six, because they, they usually order two at a time so that they can start hiring people to work on it next year, you know, because they'll be done with four by the end of this year, basically. From his kind of writer's and hiring director's point of view, not all the post-production, obviously. But he seems fairly confident it's going to happen. Um, and, he you know, we talked about how seven's the magic number. And he thinks that, you know, that might be his goal. Although he did talk about how he did do a TNG season eight. But Tawny did talk about how she likes to pitch stuff, you know, and being an improviser, she said she doesn't she doesn't mind hearing no. You know, so she's willing to go out there, push stuff and pitch stuff, not just getting herself into the DS9 episode, but other things as well. Right. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear. I love her. I just, I like her sensibility. I like what she has to say. I love her big personality. I think she's fantastic. She is. She's great. And super tall and really nice. All of these people, actually, they they remember you, not just me, but other people. And, you know, they're just, everyone who works on these shows takes it very seriously, but also aren't jerks about it, you know, because there's some people who are too serious about their work and yeah, I've had the same experience having, been, you know, done some red carpet stuff and interviewed them at various events. And people are generally warm, friendly, and appreciative and thoughtful. So let's talk a little bit about Prodigy. My Prodigy. precious Prodigy. We finally <laughs> have a date. I'm so excited. It's actually pretty soon. Thursday, October 27th. We get the second half of season one. I am ready. This means all 10 episodes will be this year. So they released a teaser, or really there were, a, there were a clip. three, three or four big things going on in that teaser. The newsy thing was the least interesting thing. Yes. Which is, <laughs> I didn't even, the first time I watched it, and maybe this is because it was four in the morning, uh, I didn't even notice the big news because I hadn't read the press release. I watched it. And Same. I'm like, Who's that guy? Um, but that guy is uh, Okona. 
you know, the outrageous. Billy um, Campbell playing Akuna yeah. again for some reason, which should be. I mean, he <laughs> turned up on Lower Decks, but he didn't have any lines. So <laughs> that's now he's fully like a grown up, older version probably still outrageous i didn't recognize his voice and like i've heard a podcast with them recently i don't know it just there was something it didn't really sound like him and that's probably why he did get older but i listened to him on a podcast recently and he still sounded like i remembered so i don't know it just it didn't like when i watched the trailer or the clip it, it, nothing triggered i i got no okona vibes at all because it was Same. very short yeah, I only knew it because they told me. So, and then the Hagemans had given a statement saying that they actually had really wanted from very early on in the writer's room that they wanted him to show up and become what they called a questionable guide to the crew. So, and that they wanted to explore like what had happened to him and they wanted to work with Billy Campbell, who I know people really like. I mean, I think Jonathan Frakes even talked about him recently on that podcast he did with Ian Spelling because he was... That one of the closest contenders for the role of Riker. I think he was the runner up or yeah, definitely was. in the short list. He was like, I think that it was it finally came down to those two. And Frakes had nothing but good things to say about him. The big things about the teaser, I felt, you know, was the, the Janeway versus Janeway, which I think is what the next 10 episodes are essentially about, which is you've got the USS Dauntless and Admiral Janeway trying to find the USS Protostar with hologram Janeway and the rest of the kids. And uh, they know that if they open up communications, you know, this consciousness, whatever it is that's infected the ship, the diviner infected the ship, they, they, they have to keep it out. But the scene shows them, you know, like face to face, ship right. to ship. So, you know, I, obviously they sort it out. I did talk to Kate Mulgrew a little bit, you know, about how this Janeway versus Janeway and how she now sees them as two different characters and they aren't really rivals. And maybe they eventually she hinted that they eventually work together. So which is not a surprise. You, you know, what else did you pick up from the teaser? Well, yeah. So the big thing is, yeah, they now know that they carry something dangerous, which they didn't know before. Um, and that's why they can't communicate. I thought they're all wearing coats. So I was like, what did something happen to the environmental controls? Had they just come back from somewhere? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I figured they were on some ice planet and they just got came, came back from an away mission. That's That was my guess. And they rushed to the bridge because the Dauntless was about to, you know, find them or whatever. Yeah, I didn't know what that was about, but I was interested. And then, of course, we have Murph is going through what they called in the clip, just in the way they, they named the clip, a metamorphosis. But something's going on and Rock Talk is intrigued by every step of whatever. She's like, I can't wait to see the new Murph. So something wacky is happening to Murph. There's going to be some kind of new version of Murph. The big question is, is Murph going to start talking more? I think Murph is going to become more communicative, right? Yeah, well, I think it's the evolution of Murph. Yeah, I'm not, you know, Murph's not going to be reciting Shakespeare, but maybe Murph gets a little smarter, can, maybe people could start understanding Murph in a kind of R2-D2 way, where people, everyone seems to kind of know what R2-D2 is saying. Because right now, Murph is basically just beeping cute. and cute, and no one really knows what the hell is going on. Right. So, yeah, so yeah, so I was super excited about this show coming back, and uh, can't wait to share it with 
kids. There were a few fun moments also with Kate, uh, again, with Mary and Jackie, where she was talking. She talked about how she didn't even get the lofty idealism of Star Trek until she was doing season three or four of Voyager. Mm. They brought up Queen Arachnia because Jackie Cox is a drag queen and was so intrigued by the character and the costume. And Kate was talking about how much she loved having it up. But she said, I still have the costume. I could lend it to you, which was just this great (laughs) little moment on the carpet. It was so good. And she said she had so much fun. She said that was the most fun she had, but she also loved being the World War II spy. (laughs) She is so, there's a kind of a new enthusiasm that she has. For Star Trek specifically, yes. And that's the other thing she said. She said, Voyager and Janeway shaped the rest of my life, she said, and in many ways redefined it. So I really think, yes, she is. It was one of her many jobs. And now it's she's really recognizing and it's something, you know, Frakes always says, and in fact, said it to me the first time I interviewed him. He said, it's the gift that keeps on giving. She probably went through a phase where she felt like she'd like to be known for other things. And I think now is just embracing all of the joy and riches. And I don't just mean money that Star Trek has brought to her. She seems to just be be relishing it right now. And she's also proven herself in other projects in the last decade. She did a great job on Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's on the new season, uh, the new series, the Alex Kurtzman, Man Fell to Earth. She's playing a totally different character for her. This like kind of evil CIA woman. And it's she's very good. And and she's, I forget now, the show, Mr. Mercedes. Mr. Mercedes, and she got to play like a very different kind of character there. So, And she's been writing. And so she's done two memoirs. I, I believe she's been working on a novel. So this is a woman who's who's looking into her past as she's moving into her future. It just It's a great time for her, I think. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the past, for years, we've been talking about a certain project from a certain director of Star Trek Two, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I broke the story years ago that Nicholas Meyer was working on another Star Trek project. I think it was like five years ago. Nick Meyer, in the middle of an interview, I was doing about Star Trek Two, says, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this other Star Trek project." And then eventually, we learned that was SETI Alpha Five, a prequel about Khan on SETI Alpha Five that he wanted to do as a miniseries. And there was, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, and it kind of eventually seemed like the project was totally dead a few months ago we talked on this podcast about how he hinted that it could come back as a podcast yeah like a a scripted podcast and he talked about his early days doing radio drama so this is really happening it's a scripted podcast that examines what happened after kirk left Khan on study alpha five and what uh, leading up to the events of the Wrath of Khan. And, you know, it's it's funny because when I walked out of Wrath of Khan this week with my 18 year old, he said, I really would love to see what happened on that planet with them. <laughs> and so I told him today his wish is coming true, but <laughs> you won't get to see it, but he'll get to hear about it. Well, that's an interesting question of because there have been books and there's a comic book it the, so the answer to that is out there if you go to the beta canon will this and also i guess we asked about the audio adventure you know that was written by kirsten Barr, starring jerry ryan 
and Michelle Hurd. But they didn't want to say that was canon either. So my bet is this won't really be canon. I think they say it's canon until it's not canon. I feel like that's what Mike and Kirsten said to us. Maybe they did. Okay. That that it is canon unless something comes up and there's some reason they have to make it not canon. But there's no reason that this couldn't be canon. Sure. It's Nick Meyer writing it. Uh, You don't have to worry about you know, finding just the right actor who has all the essences. You just can find someone who can speak like Montauban. I think that'll be pretty easy to do, assuming they go for that, that they're like, we want someone who really sounds like, I mean, maybe they'll just go in a different direction and just get someone right for the part because they didn't announce any cast. That's the thing. They announced this thing exists or will exist, I guess, but there's no date. There's no cast. There's really no details. We don't know how many episodes because they're calling it a podcast. So it's, it's different than the thing we were t- just talking about, which was a Simon and Schuster audio drama. And I think there's another one of those in the works for next year. This isn't that. This is a podcast part of CBS Studios podcast division. They have a kind of growing podcast division and including scripted podcasts, which are kind of a new thing. But is it going to be distributed on Apple? Because it's going to be expensive to make, right? So, because, you know, it would be weird, like, you know, halfway through. I mean, I guess they could do that. In the middle of this audio adventure, they stop and start selling you Blue Apron and Undies, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. (laughs) I was wondering where you were headed. I didn't realize it was into those ads. Um, (laughs) Me Undies and all those (laughs) in the middle yeah. <laughs> or they could have the characters could do it just like they do with the big podcasters um <laughs> right right so so khan will say you know i i am the superior you know and these Zip undies yeah <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> that would actually i would enjoy that if they could find ways to you know integrate his khan essence into these ads into like a better help ad. That's the one I hear across all podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have to talk to Nick again and see I what think he's willing you're to spill. Have to him. I'm going to leave that one to you because he's very intimidating. The way he talked about this was I don't think he's given up on the TV show angle because I think he said something like, you know, it's going to be a podcast first. I, I can't imagine they'll do a podcast and then turn it into a TV show. But, you know, it's his baby. Of course, he wants to see it fulfilled in his original vision. But, you know, maybe the, the, something could be that's that's this canon question of maybe this thing is popular and then they could do a follow on that's actually a TV show. That would probably be a better idea than to just turn the same thing into a TV show. It's you a know. tough one because Khan is a villain. So, you know, it's it's. Something that Star Trek hasn't really done is have a star. The main character is a bad person. And we can't pretend, oh, he's a good person because Khan has a very bad history. Right, because we know he's before this, he killed people. After this, he's going to kill some more people. Right. You know, so he isn't on a redemption arc. No. um, You know, in any way. We'll see. I think we've we've milked this for every bit of information we could get out of it, but it is intriguing. Yep. All right. And then the final panel of the day 
was from Strange New Worlds. They had a, a lot of the cast. Um, Anson Mount wasn't there. I just assume he's with his child because he's a new dad still. But they had a whole bunch of the cast members there. There was one big, big piece of news, which was that they've added uh, Carol Kane to the cast uh, as the new chief engineer, which I was not. I could never have predicted that in a million years. Yeah, I thought it was a typo when I read it. I'm like, what? That's really um, and then I saw the picture and I'm like, OK, but That's then, um, yeah, and I'm a fan, you know, back to me too. Taxi, you know, and, and Kimmy Schmidt and, you know, she's and Princess Bride and Annie Hall. Like I I've known who she was since I was a kid. I love her. I love that a 70 year old woman is playing the chief engineer. I can't wait to see the weird dynamics she's going to have with these people. It's. I am completely 100% intrigued. It's a recurring role. Um, I guess, you know, just like Hemmer was, you know, I think they're just going to have some fun until they get to Scotty because we know they're going to get to Scotty, right? So maybe they're going to go through three engineers and then they're going to get to Scotty. They're going to be like the drummers from Spinal Tap. She's going to be a tough character, they said, because she suffers no fools. More importantly, she's going to be funny. So I think they're looking to this character to be comic relief. Maybe they were inspired by Tig Notaro. Oh, I think for sure. I feel like this is definitely because of Tig. I'm, I'm totally looking forward to this, you know, new dynamic with Carol Kane. You know, and I just love that it was so because earlier I said there was really no surprises from today. This was a surprise. I had no <laughs> idea this was coming. And, you know, it, it like it didn't make any sense. The You know, the first time you see it, it's like square peg round hole. But then you start thinking about the possibilities and you think, yeah this could work. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. We also got a clip from season two, which was all about Ortegas, which is nice because we felt that we wanted to see more from her. So it looks like she gets a big episode and it got, you know, something I missed when I first watched it that Matt picked up on. And I went, Oh, I, for some reason, didn't hear that was that the mission that, that Ortegas wanted to go on and then gets derailed from is to Rigel seven that's kind of a return for Captain Pike. And I think the dialogue indicates that as well. I kind of liked the Spock dynamic. There was some, remember how we didn't like when Laon said to Spock, can't you ever talk normally or something like that? Right. And it, she said something like that in this thing, something about a moon. And, and he said, well, I could say that, but that wouldn't be accurate. So, you know, right back at you, lady. Yeah. Um, and I loved that. And, but then he, he talked about how he's trying, you know, he, he, something he said was, you know, Ortega said something like, sometimes you're not supposed to say anything. What, what did Ortega say? Yeah, she's, she said, like, sometimes just leave people alone. Was yeah, and he was. said, I'm working on it. Because remember, he said he's trying to get more in touch with his human side. So this season. So I think that's part of, you know, so it was nice to see him recognize, like, oh. I just did one of those things where I pissed someone off. Right. And a moment between them, we haven't really seen the two of them together much. And uh, and it's great to get an Ortegas episode. We knew it was coming. More Tegas is the hashtag. <laughs> nice. We didn't really learn much about season two, but look for my interview with Henry. He does talk a little bit about season two. And I, I, I think... You know, you're going to hate this, but I, I think they're not done with the Gorn. I know. I know they're not done with the Gorn. 
Which means I am going to continue to rant about the Gorn, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Just there was one great moment on the carpet from Melissa Navia, who was excited to meet Mary Chifo. I just thought that was a nice, a nice little moment. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. I witnessed a total freak out from Celia when she spotted Bill Nye, the science guy. And she totally oh, that's did. great. She lost it. And she was like, going, oh, my God, I'm going to run And then she ran over to him. I think I got a picture of them like talking. And she was just totally nerding out on Bill Nye, the science guy. So. I love it. I saw a great moment in the background during some of the red carpet stuff where Jerry Ryan and Patrick Stewart were standing there doing pictures and then uh, Michelle Hurd comes up to them and they it just turns into this huge, beautiful embrace. That was really nice too. All right, there were a couple of other sort of smaller bits of news that we'll go through really quickly. So the Pod Directive, the podcast hosted by... Um, Tani and Paul F. Tompkins returns in February. Star Trek Online, the game has Mirror Wesley Crusher as the Terran Emperor, launching on PC on September 13th and consoles at some point after that. Um, and they had some merchandise announcements like some Nerf phasers and Pottery Barn teen decor. I think we've got the Nerf stuff on the site already. We'll have to take a look at this Pottery Barn stuff and see what's going yeah. on with that. Um, but yeah, you know, I had a quick the, glance. It's great that, you know, Nerf owned by Hasbro. Hasbro has done very little except for because Hasbro is such a big company like they own Milton Bradley. So, you know, so there's been a few games, uh, but there's been almost no Hasbro toys. And these will be the first Nerf Star Trek things ever, I believe. Someone can check me on that, but I think that's true. It's definitely the first Hasbro thing since 2013 when they did a kind of one-off for the um, Star Trek Into Darkness with their fake Lego. Yeah, it's exciting when a new licensee, or not new, but a big licensee like this comes along. The Pottery Barn is also, so it, it, just, it feels like more mainstreaming of Star Trek. Star Trek kind of getting back into big box stores and stuff like that. It, you know, just as a side note, I was talking to people at the event and apparently the motion picture, you know, these new box sets that just came out this week, there's reviews on the site. Um, are selling really well. I mean, the, the kind of $100 collector's edition is is sold out at Amazon immediately, and it's hard to find. It's sold out at Walmart. I think there's maybe a few copies here and there, but uh, if you haven't got one yet, you should get one now. But I just like to hear when the merchandise side of Star Trek is doing better, because that has not been the strongest side of Star Trek when you compare it to Star Wars, especially, and some other right. franchises. All right, I think it's time to get into our review. Let's talk about Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 3, Mining the Mines Mines. Can you I say love that, that five times fast? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun title, and, and it, it, it evokes exactly what it is, too. Yes, we won't, in a couple of years, be like, which episode was that again? And it's a classic Star Trek and sci-fi setup, but obviously with their own special twist on it as well. That was something I liked about this episode. So I'm just jumping into it. It was it felt a lot like classic Star Trek in that it started with the teaser on an alien planet with some unknown scientist guy running into some kind of problem and he gets turned into a statue, you know. So it was, you know, like a classic TNG teaser. And a lot of this episode had a lot of those kind of classic Star Trek elements. I, I felt. felt the same way. I thought this was 
a strong story in that sense and definitely like very original series very tng i liked the end of the teaser because you see the the rock man who we later find out is a scrubble um looking down from above also seeing it happen so i thought it was a really good setup and i liked the story even though the laughs it wasn't like a big laugh fest no i mean it was more plot focused than any real lower decks episode i think you know i mean there were definitely some laughs for sure but it was very character based uh, um which is kind of a theme this season i feel you felt a lot of the character progression for our four ensigns this season especially tendy even though she wasn't part of the a story per se this in a lot of ways is a tendy episode anyway cuz she is kind of the hero of the episode and 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 a thing i really liked is that they tied the A and the B story, the Tendi story and the Ensigns on the Planet story really well yes. together. Because sometimes they just kind of have their own shenanigans. Which is fine and works, but I like when they come together and they did that very nicely. I also like that while we've seen these characters grow and change, they also still fall back on some of their old behavior, which I like very much, like Captain Freeman being a blowhard is still there, which I'm glad about. (laughs) Yeah, and she has a lot of pride, you know, and seeing the rivalry between the California classes was was fun, kind of a little bit of internal politics, both at the cap, you know, it's funny because both the cap, the the two captains and at the ensigns appeared at least to have these kind of tensions and rivalries going on at, at, at different levels. Right. Something else I, th- I thought was super interesting, having just been back in theater seeing Wrath of Khan a couple of days ago, was that I thought it was, there was a similar theme in both, which is kind of funny. Uh, it was a small theme in Wrath of Khan. But David Marcus has all this, has a lot to say in Wrath of Khan about scientists versus Starfleet, equating Starfleet with military. And that theme came up in this one too, where the scientists were like, no, we don't like Starfleet. And, and Starfleet is like, why? And Ransom is like, why can't they just go to Starfleet Academy? Oh, it's too hard or whatever he said. So, yeah. Well, because there are a lot of episodes of a ship coming in to, you know, solve a problem caused by uh, scientists who are, as, as he discorded, he says, like, they're always getting eaten or getting eggs laid in them. Yes. Or- <laughs> he says they're always getting eaten, disappearing or getting eggs laid in their chest. Yeah. Has that actually, I mean, that's obviously an alien reference. Has, have we seen eggs laid in a Star Trek thing? I mean, unless you count Strange New Worlds and the Gorn. I guess they're not laid. <laughs> yeah. So. But um, yeah, that sounds like an alien reference. But yeah, and he complains that joining Starfleet is too much effort for them. He says, yeah. got to get their degree studying spores or whatever, then get devoured by a plant. And I was happy to see, I, I, I'm a big fan of Steven's character because he's just such a toady. He's like the ultimate sycophant. The way he sucks up to Ransom is he just loves him. so much. The, the, <laughs> and yeah, I love like how Ransom said, you have to stop saying we have a sacred bond. <laughs> and, the, and the way that Mariner motivates Stevens later. Yes. By, by saying he has, he has a weak core. Right. By saying they said he has a weak core. Yeah. So like it's that's a rumor that they're talking about. 
So that was the other thing was they definitely tied it all. They brought it all back too. So no, no wasted moments. Apparently Ransom also has a stand-up routine, I guess, on talent nights. Yes. But about, you know, dates and mates. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. I mean, I very much like, because again, this is classic of the bad guys turn out to not be bad guys. Like we misunderstand the bad guys. And in, that was happening on the ship and on the planet. And that is very star, classic Star Trek. But when I rewatched it, the way the ensigns from the Carlsbad acted to the ensigns from the Cerritos, they were being jerks. They were yes. being, you know, so I felt like they could have done better. And when you look back at it, you go, oh, yeah, they were just being nervous. But when you look back at it, no, they were being rude and mean. Right. Which is often what people do when they feel insecure. I guess. But, you know, it, it wasn't the the reaction of Mariner and the well Mariner obviously took it too far because like her mother you know, she's very prideful right. um, and has a temper yeah yeah so uh you know they started playing basketball with the mind absorbing the fantasy creating minds um and uh that was definitely going to turn get it, them into trouble what did you think of the various fantasies that our ensigns had? So I thought that doing the Leah Brahms thing was great. First of all, I love that they got Susan Gibney to do the voice. It's excellent. But I thought because it's such a weird, controversial Geordie fantasy, sort of creepy weirdness <laughs> from Next Generation, because there was there was some weird dialogue back there. And then when he met her, it was weird. And it was and there are people who still want them together. And I think that's weird. Um, so this was like, to me, a play on that, because some of the things she said to Rutherford were really funny, like, do you want to triple check my math? And stuff <laughs> like that. So and I loved when she and Jennifer were like, hugging each other. <laughs> I just, I thought that was really Really funny. Uh, you know, I immediately thought, gee, I'm, I, you know, I hope LeVar doesn't see this because it is, you know, because he's not a big fan of this angle. But uh, I think it was done pretty well um, and the performance was good. They didn't sexy her up, you know. Right. She was uh, just I'm, Leah Brahms and what he he loved anytime she talked about the warp core or math or something she needed him to do. That was his fantasy. Yeah, there wasn't anything sexual about it, um, unlike Mariner's fantasy, which was all sexual. Right. Um, and uh, I guess was, this is our first time seeing Jennifer since they buried the hatchet at the end of season two. So now they're at are they or are they not girlfriend and girlfriend? Are they babe level is the question. Are they babing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we definitely get the sense that things are happening. That's for sure. No, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so in a way, it's kind of healthy that her fantasy is her girlfriend. Right. Right. And of course, Boimler's fantasy is for an admiral to need help with the Borg so that he well, could ride in the sidecar. So he can ride in the sidecar because this was my maybe my favorite line in the whole thing. Driving scary. I'm a natural passenger. So because I feel the same way. <laughs> I think driving is scary and I am a natural passenger also, but I love that he's the difference with Boimler now is he's owning it. 
I mean, maybe he always was. Maybe he always just said who he was. <laughs> this does pull back a little bit on the bold Boimler thing, though. Right. Because, you know, is bold Boimler a natural passenger? Well, unless the Admiral says, do you want to drive? Then he doesn't have to worry about it. Because it's about saying yes to things that come his way. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, no, I thought the fantasies were... Um, I guess I just, I don't know, like this episode was good, but not great. It was of the yeah. three, I would say it's the least great, you know, maybe they could have gone bigger and broader with some of these fantasies. I mean, certainly the nightmares were funny as well. Um, oh my God. The Klingon clowns were terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the, uh, the Borgs, the Borg snake was okay, I guess. Um, I didn't understand Jennifer becomes a werewolf. I'm not. Yes, she became a big, giant, scary wolf that wanted to grow orchids. <laughs> yeah. So so the Borg snake was Rutherford's. The raisins were Boimler's, right? I assume the mean raisins were something to do with Boimler. Yeah, I would think so. So whose fantasy was the Klingon clowns? It must have been one of the other instances from the other. Yeah, group. it could have been anybody. There were a lot of people there at that point. I mean, mine, that would be my nightmare. <laughs> so <laughs> I True. do have a genuine fear of clowns. <laughs> Everyone does. I thought it was weird that we never, I guess we never saw Stevens's fantasy, but there could have been a funny ransom thing there. Because we only saw his nightmare, but he said his fantasy had to do with a giant ham sandwich, which right, we never got was... to see. <laughs> but still, even his nightmare, you know, which was, you know, it was it was a kind of a, a fun Easter egg from the animated series. The, you know, winged... well, the the frequently mispronounced and I'm going to join the mispronouncing. It was Kukulkan. Yeah. <laughs> But it, I don't know. It was just. A, it seems like a an easy layup for a ransom related fantasy slash nightmare here. Right. Right. So it it just seemed kind of random. But maybe maybe that was too obvious. Well, they don't shy away from obvious. I mean, I did feel like the only fantasy I didn't love was the very first one with the scientist who has his seventh grade teacher in a skimpy toga. Yeah. Again, I think in you know. You talked about this with Matt last week, and you talked about this first week. I've, sometimes the show feels a little dated, yeah. In some you know, and potentially sexist. Let's say, right? I and I do. It feels more dated than anything else. Like I, I just again, and and I, I don't like to use this word about Lower Decks because it's a very creative show, but it's an uncreative choice. But you know, that was a minor part of the the overall. And I found that even though it was a smaller part of this episode, the Tendi storyline, I just found more compelling. Yeah, same. It was funnier. I'm a big fan of Paul F. Tompkins, so the Miglamo stuff was great. We had the crazy captains fighting and, you know, just I, I love anything with Dr. Donna. So, <laughs> you know, I, almost, I wanted more of that and less of the other story, I feel like, in this episode of Tendi kind of being put through the grinders that were with the, the senior officers and their weirdnesses. Well, and having to learn this, the lesson of how to speak up as the science officer, which was a good lesson. 
Yeah, that being smart and studying and doing tests, she's like, I want to take a test. And, and you know, that's just that's not what it's all about. Right. You've got to get noticed, you know, the, the, and you see this from the beginning where she comes in the room and there's things happening and everyone like it's as if she's invisible, you know. Right. And and that continues, even though she has something important to say about the rock. No, when they ask her, they ask her to scan it and she scans it and starts to give her results and they're not interested. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love how the rock just becomes everything, right? Yes. Like, like it just, it just, no one, everything has to stop over the rock. Uh, So no, it was, and, and Miglamo being completely oblivious to what's going on, his first time ever being a mentor, he thinks he's nailing it. Um, Even though he's reading from the book, yeah, that that needed editing <laughs> from Ambassador Spock, of course. Right. I love where he's going through Vulcan stuff, Vulcan stuff, you know. So no, it that, would have that, been logical to have an editor, yeah, yeah. That, that was that. It was all great. Everything. I thought it was a tighter, more fun storyline for sure. Um, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, and then the scene in sickbay was short, but with the chainsaw and the and the guy with the thing on his foot, you know. and the goggles and the chainsaw, <laughs> right. is just fantastic. All of it, perfect. Yeah, no, no I notes. like this the sickbay one, especially because she goes, "What the fuck are you doing here?" She's just dandy. Right, because there was a thing was. last season where she thought the doctor hated her, and it turned out it was the doctor that kicked her out of sick bay because she wanted her to be, you know, she, she recommended her for the science track and she sees something in Tendi that Tendi doesn't see in herself because she's still young and that's part of her growth for sure. But the doctor's still going to be her mentor, like obviously was in this one and told her what she needed to hear. And I think we'll continue to, to be so. Yes. Even though Big LeBeau thinks he's, he right. he really did a great job. This he's episode. killing it. <laughs> Which and, and I like how she doesn't. You know, she's not going to dissuade him from that point of view. No, but she knows she knows the truth. I do want to get back to there was a funny moment, which is kind of self referential early on, where they you know they were with the other storyline where Rutherford and Boimler were talking about how maybe they have heard about us and, you know, cause they have this reputation thing and Mariner's like, what, what, what? And then they just start throwing out storylines. Right. Were and you it- able to pull those apart and hear, like I heard phrases, but I couldn't, I couldn't focus on either one of them and get the complete. I think I got, I think I got all of it. Okay. So of course they, you did. they mentioned tussled with the Megatu or um, tussled with the pack led twice Scared the crap out of a drill instructor, which was the, um, you know, that TAS kind of alien that falls apart. Um, I forget it. Yim Yip. Oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. And they talked about the living organisms taking over the. Right. The ship. ship got terraformed. The yep. drunk, the drunk Klingon. So, you know, <laughs> but then Boimler said, and I think this was foreshadowing because Boimler goes, wasn't there some time travel? Have we done time travel? And which they haven't done. Right. But we know they're going to do it. Yeah. So because of uh, Strange New Worlds. So, I mean, we presume that's how it happens. Right. 
it could be a holog- you know, holodeck thing. Who knows? But let's assume it's time travel because they visit the Enterprise and those characters and stuff like that in live action. I'm so glad you were able to, to hear all that. I, I took the easy way out figuring that you would probably do it. And there was a couple references later when they were, you know, bearing the hatchet and they talked about the alien trial that they had, which turned out to be a party and another mention of the packlets. So, yeah, so that they do have, but I kind of, I like how the show's kind of celebrating, you know, cause it started off like where California class ships are kind of, you know, the workhorses and the people who don't get any love as it were, but they're showing how these guys are heroes and they have built a, a cool reputation. They are officially cool. Or Cerritos, what did they call it? Cali class famous. Right. So amongst, it's kind of like a secret thing amongst the, you know, amongst the Cali class people where they said you're the enterprise of the Cali class. Right. Exactly. You yeah. Know. I thought that was a nice touch. The Because uh, they oh, should feel a little proud of some of the stuff they've done. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they screw up, but they also have big wins. And in fact, this episode itself was because this, it all starts off with the USS Hood. So we see the kind of classic TNG opening. Then we skip past the what we assume is the Hood shows up and they, you know, and they do really smart things and they figure it all out. And they right, is the episode that would have happened. Right. There was a whole episode <laughs> right. we missed with yeah. the USS Hood. They show up. The Hood just goes boink and it leaves. Right. And. Uh, I don't think we did. We meet any of the officers from the hood. I'm not sure. We might have met a couple. We saw but, them. Yeah, and they're gone. And but they were wrong. Whatever the hood did, they screwed up. They didn't spot the real right. what was really going on. You know, which I think is cool that it took these ensigns to really solve the problem, um, making the uh, USS Hood people look pretty bad. I imagine later on their reports. <laughs> For missing. They missed a lot. Yes, I'm sure Captain Freeman felt really good about sending that uh, report in with Captain Captain Mayer. Did you like that they assumed that and they said in stories Boimler was described as a tiny comedic robot that's always getting into trouble? <laughs> I mean, I loved that. I don't get it, like, but I think it's great. I loved it. Like, I'm trying right, to figure it- out why would people say that, but it was funny. So, no, I lied about that. <laughs> Sometimes it just needs to be funny. <laughs> and and, and they was... described him as a floating cube. Yeah, Which I'm trying, like, is that a Star Trek reference? Floating cube. Yeah, I mean, there is actually a character from the Umbrella Academy that is a floating cube. Oh. But I, I doubt that that's what they were going for. But I can't, you know, I'm trying to think, is there kind of some floating cube robot? Um. From I'm sure one of our listeners or someone will say, oh, yeah, you forgot this episode of whatever, you know, the tiny robot that got into mishaps. Yeah. (laughs) And Mariner also referred to him as the bird bone feller. (laughs) This little bird bone feller is Boimler, she says when introducing him. (laughs) Yes. There were still a lot of really good, funny moments and lines. Not as many as I'm used to, but some really good ones. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of, just like last week, you know, the, of course there are references, you get Parisi squares and stuff like that, but, and obviously Leah Brahms, but I don't think they're going deep. 
you know, into the Easter eggs that much, really. They, they definitely pulled back, you know, on the kind of reliance on those, which I think is a good thing. So when they do use them, like the TAS Serpent was a fun deep, even though I still feel like a it would have been fun to have a ransom gag. That still was a good deep cut uh, for your animated series fans. Yes. There was also um, in one of the nightmare scenarios, one of the Klingon clowns was playing the trombone. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> that must've been, Oh, cause the, the, there's nothing scary about the trombone. So it just must've been something about Boimler. Well, that's when it was starting to get mixed up and they realized something was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. They were just mixing up all of their memories. There was fantasies, their memories, details, like weird random details that weren't from dreams at all. And and I do like how they are making great references to their own canon. And in this case, um, Stevens, who I don't know why, except that it's funny that he had casts. So he, you know, they showed him turn into a statue and get shattered, which I thought, oh, my God. Right. They just, How do you just put kill him back Stevens. together? But apparently that, you know, uh, the chainsaw was probably involved. Who knows? But, you know, the Dr. Tan had pulled it off. But why does he have those two casts, except that it's funny to see a guy with arm casts that way? Right. But then he said, I was brain dead for 10 minutes. If I was brain dead for 10 minutes, then how is it that I saw a koala? Right. And, which is a great self-reference right. to the show because they've kind of established in canon that when you die, there is this mystical koala creature that greets yeah. you in the afterlife, at least for some people. And perhaps the shows that Stevens for all his sycophancy is more in tune with himself that he can see the koala. Cause don't you have to be kind of transcendentally tuned in to see the koala? Right. That's how you see the <laughs> right. So, so it's a big deal that he saw the koala. I think. Yeah. Another. I mean, this isn't really an Easter egg. This is kind of just one of Mariner's times that Mariner kind of calls out Star Trek, where they're in the cave, and of course their communications don't work. Right. And she she says it's not a real date in Starfleet until comms get blocked because, as a plot device, every Star Trek show does this to say. At this point in the plot, it would help to create tension for comms not to work. But don't worry, they'll work just fine later and they won't explain why, probably. Right. Uh, I thought that was, you know, a a nice burn on her part, as it were. There was also a very fun moment where Tendi and Maglimo are talking and he says, you know, there really are a lot of sciences out there. Too many, if you ask me. And she says, seems like a proper amount. (laughs) I mean, how I guess this does kind of show how there is a level of incompetence up at the upper levels of like, how did it come to pass that he was given that task? Well, sure. You also have two captains who are fighting, ridiculously fighting over this rock, trying to each pawn it off on the other one to the point that they're going to blow the treaty negotiations, even though it all worked out just fine. Right. (laughs) And they eventually buried the hatchet and they shared the rock. Um, right. She, she, got she kept the, the bigger piece. piece for herself. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Was there anything else we need to say about this episode? I mean, I think overall we sort of hit all the big points. There were some good laughs, not as many as we're used to. 
strong story. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels slightly experimental in the way that they're kind of using the TNG structure. I'm like that they're changing the show up a little bit. They're trying new things. This isn't my favorite episode of the season, but it was absolutely entertaining and enjoyable for sure. Yeah, I would agree. So that's it for episode three. I can't wait for episode four. Yeah, same. Um, Let's wrap up with our bits of the week. What have you got? Mine is Chris Pine related. You may have noticed like that Chris Pine was trending for like two days <laughs> and it was, it was just weird, you know, that everyone just started obsessing about like these pictures and videos of Chris Pine from uh, the Venice Film Festival. It's not really about Star Trek, but pe- people were taking these pictures of him bored at a news conference, turning them into Star Trek gags and other gags. We did it as well and he kind of became a meme and it was like such a bit it was so weird how like chris pine became such a big deal he was mentioned in multiple late night comedy host monologues <laughs> um these uh, you know there were articles about the chris pine memes there was a whole thing about how maybe harry styles spin on him because of the way this video looked although apparently you know other angles made it clear he didn't but you know the, that like the the BBC wrote an article about how Chris, how Harry Styles didn't spit on Chris Pine, you know, <laughs> somehow right. like CNN, like they had to cover it. That's how big Chris Pine was this week. That was the big news that Harry Styles didn't spit on him. Someone else had analyzed the video and said, no, he just, he looked down at that moment and saw his sunglasses in his lap or something. Yeah. It's <laughs> <was> like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because of course, <laughs> Harry Styles did just walk up to Chris Pine and spit and on spit him. on him. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, for a day, people thought that was it, you know, um, and I'm sure there's people out there who still believe it. So when there's a lot of rumor and scandal about that movie already. Yeah. So. So. But that's why, you know, he's one of the Hollywood Chris's and that's why <laughs> they, they have to pay him the big bucks if he's coming back for Star Trek 4, which he keeps on saying he wants to do. So let's see if it happens. And those memes are just going to keep coming up for years now. Yeah, he's now officially the the, the him. With the headphones on, yep. like with the translator <laughs> one. That is now firmly a meme forever, I think. Yep. Okay, Agreed. what's your thing? Mine is very self-promoting, so forgive me. For all of you who are not sick of listening to my voice, I've been doing some guesting on some other podcasts, so I just wanted to quickly alert you to what they are and put up links. Um, one is called Dice in Mind, which is ostensibly about um, RPGs, but they also interview a lot of interesting people about just creativity in their jobs. And so I had a nice talk with those guys about my career and some different creative projects. So that was fun. Um, I also did the shuttle pod where we talked about Captain Kirk, the myth of Captain Kirk versus the reality of what's actually in the show and the movies about Captain Kirk. And then my very deep dive with the, with Scott and Steve at Enterprise Incidents, we did Day of the Dove, which is one of my, just an episode I love. We did a really, the kind of deep dive into an episode that I wanted to do as a kid and couldn't find anyone to have that conversation with. So (laughs) it was really good. And they also scored an interview separately from what I did with them with Susan Howard, who played Mara in Day of the Dove. So it's a long but fun episode. So I'll put up links to all of those, but I had fun doing, doing all of them. Wow. You're really getting out there and doing the pods. I haven't, I haven't done another podcast in, in years except for this one. So I feel like I I should get out there and do some you more podcasts. Should. I have enjoyed you on these other podcasts. So 
You should. You're a good podcast guest. I think I did all three of those the same week. It was oh pretty God. crazy. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy week. But you should. You have a lot to say, and uh, and I would love to go hear you on more podcasts. <laughs> Maybe someone will have me on to talk about something that has nothing to do with Star Trek. I don't know what, but uh, I have a lot yeah, of Yeah, I was super surprised that the guys from Dyson Mine just wanted to talk about my background. I mean, it was the most flattering thing that's ever happened to me, I think. I learned some things, so it's a, it's a definite <laughs> good listen for fans of this podcast. I hope so. I was worried. I was like, who's going to care about all this? But they seemed interested, so that was fine. That's all that matters. All right, that's it for the week, folks. Happy day after Star Trek Day, everyone. Yep. Um, we'll be back next Friday with more All Access Star Trek. See you then.